0: 2 Samuel chapter number 16, please. 2 Samuel 16. I've been waiting to get back into this series um, for uh, quite some time and just have just been interrupted by various things. And so we're now back into the expositional study of, of this book of the Bible and looking forward to the message tonight. I've actually had this message written for two weeks. I was writing it two weeks ago and my wife checked in on me during the day said, hey, what are you doing? I said, I'm writing my Sunday night message. And she said, that's, that's interesting. There's not a Sunday night message. It's the FBA musical. And I was already done with it. And I thought, well, I guess I'll just not have anything to do next week. And so uh, this has been in the, in the slow cooker for a long time. So we'll see how it comes out. But uh, I think it's going to be timely and helpful for our church. Verses 5 through 13. I'm not going to waste time tonight. I'll preach as quick as I can, but I believe God has a word for us. Verse 5 And when King David came to Bahurim, behold, thence came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. He came forth and cursed still as he came. And he cast stones at David. So I want you to get this scene in your mind. We got one of Saul's relatives. Saul's already dead. One of Saul's really, really burnt, hurt, disappointed relatives. Blaming David, criticizing David, cursing David. He even picks up stones and he's throwing stones at David. Basically telling him, I want you dead. That was a common way of killing people in that day. He wasn't going to kill him probably because David had a lot of men around him. And he's throwing from a distance likely. But he's, he's signifying, David, you're as good as, de- as good as dead to me. Verse 6 begins to tell us why. And, and all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And thus said Shimei when he cursed, Come out, come out, thou bloody man, and thou man of Belial. The Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose stead thou hast reigned. And the Lord hath delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom thy son. And behold, thou art taken in thy mischief. behold, or because thou art a bloody man. Then said Abishai, the son of Zeruai, unto the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over, I pray thee, and take off his head. And the king said, what have I to do with you, sons of Zeruiah, Zeruiah, or Z? So let him curse, because the Lord hath said unto him, curse David. Who shall then say, wherefore hast thou done so? And David said to Abishai, and to all his servants, behold, my son, which came forth out of my bowels, seeketh my life. How much more now? May this Benjamite do it. Let him alone and let him curse. For the Lord hath bidden him. It may be that the Lord will look on my infliction. That the Lord will requite me good for his cursing this day. And as David and his men went by the way. Shimei went along on the hillside over against him. And cursed as he went and threw stones at him. And cast dust. Title of the message tonight is this. Countering a critic. Countering a critic. I want to divide the message under two headings. We're going to talk about the characteristics of a critic as we see them in Shimei. Then we're going to learn from David how to counter the criticism well. Notice the first characteristic of a critic. Critics often assume a false story. Verse 5 tells us that Shimei was of the family of the house of Saul. This explains why he was against David. David had assumed Saul's throne. We know that. And even though David assumed it rightly, it wasn't sitting well with some of Saul's family. I found that many times criticism comes from a place of loyalty. We can take up for somebody we love because we think they've been treated unfairly, are overlooked, or taken advantage of, so we form a critical spirit in defense of that person. That's what happened with Shimei. Saul was dead by this point, and though David didn't kill Saul, he actually did quite the opposite. When he could have killed Saul, he didn't. He was still being accused by Shimei of doing so. Shimei was hurt, he was grieving, and that caused him to assume a false story about David. Listen, when you're tempted to offer up some criticism out of loyalty or love for a person or just out of personal hurt, you would do well to make sure you know all the facts. Don't bring the assumptions created by either your own emotions or told to you by somebody else who's emotional in the situation and treat those as infallible sources. Remember church, feelings don't have brains. That means feelings aren't very good decision makers. Your emotions and feelings like Shimei was facing in a situation like this tend to exaggerate what you feel is true. Also remember, if you're hearing facts from a person who's been affected or hurt or frustrated, you're you're probably hearing their feelings speak. Which means they might be exaggerated as well. Be careful not to base your criticism on those sources alone. Because when you do, you are almost certain to give criticism that is based on a false story or an incomplete story. Bottom line, if you're going to choose to be a critic, at least be an honest one. Be a fair one. Shimei wasn't. He assumed a false story and based his criticism of David on wrong assumptions. But notice also that Shimei attacks David's character. That's the second characteristic of a critic. Critics often attack a person's character. Did you notice what Shimei called David? A bloody man. He went a step further. He called him a man of Belial. He was accusing David of being a murderer... And have an immoral character. That's what it really meant to be called Belial in a degrading form. It meant that you were a scoundrel. It meant that you had no integrity. Now to be fair, that's actually been true in David's life before, hasn't it? He has been a murderer. He has been a scoundrel. But in the context of King Saul, which is the source or or the, the center, the content of Shimei's criticism about David, David was actually a man of high character and integrity. So it must have really stung for David to hear that he was guilty of murdering Saul when he knew full well that he restrained himself from chopping Saul's head off on multiple occasions when it was given to him on a silver platter. Everything in David must have wanted to pick up a rock and start throwing it back. He was being accused falsely and he was being attacked Personally, Can I encourage you, if you're going to offer some type of criticism, stay away from attacking people's character. It does no good to slander a person. It does no good to speak ill of their leadership. It does no good to run a person's reputation down because you're hurt. To put it frankly, it's never right for a Christian to be unkind. Or to be mean. Or to be a personal there are going to be people that annoy you at the deepest level. There are going to be people with whom you completely disagree. But to attack their character is not the way to respond to that annoyance or disagreement. Critics assume a false story. They, they often attack a person's character. Notice one more. Critics often advertise their complaints publicly. This is what really hurts. When the criticism is not only false, it's not only personal, but it goes public. Shimei created a scene here. We're not going to rehearse it again. We read it. He did this in front of all of David's loyal followers. So be like, if you're the boss or you're you're the employer, you're 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 the head of a company. And somebody comes in and begins to curse you and throw rocks at you and humiliate you in front of all of those that trust you and look up to you. You're going to get Defensive. It's gonna humiliate you, it's gonna embarrass you, it's gonna infuriate you, but this is what critics do most of the time. They can't keep their criticism private. They generally have to tell somebody because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Eventually, internal complaints can no longer stay internal. If they're not dealt with, they leak. And here's why that's a big problem for both Christians and members of a church. Do you remember when Jesus told his disciples that the, that the way the world was going to know that they are indeed followers of Jesus was if they had love one for another? He could have picked all kinds of identifying things, but he picked their love for each other. If we as Christians, our church members, air our complaints out about others loud and publicly, do you think that people will look at you and say to themselves, they must be a follower of Jesus? Do you think our children and our spouses are influenced positively for Christ when they hear us doing that? For church members, you, you don't just have your reputation to protect or your family's reputation. Hear me, you should be protecting and stewarding the reputation of your church as well. Amen. Your public criticism should always be filtered by this question. How will this affect my church that I'm in a covenant agreement with? How will this affect the mission of my church to help people find and follow Jesus? Let me add this on as far as the church goes when it comes to being part of a growing church. There will always be something to criticize. Healthy things are growing things. Growing things are always in transition. Some of you parents know that all too well. If your baby's healthy, they're growing. And as they're growing, you got you to buy new diapers. You got to buy bigger clothes. You got to buy bigger pairs of shoes. You know how it is. You got to transition as healthy things grow. And the same is true with churches. Healthy churches are growing churches, growing churches are transitioning churches, transitioning churches are changing churches, adjusting churches. And nothing causes complainers and criticizers to fester and come to the surface more than transition and change. Jared Wilson, a professor at Midwestern Theological in Kansas City, said this. You find out what a church worships by changing things. Ooh, there's some grunts out there. You can even say amen. You're like, ooh. That's so true. It's so true. We do understand there are some things that should never change about a church, don't we? I'm not implying that our orthodox doctrine and core belief should waver. But as healthy things grow, we have to adjust to acquiesce to the growth. Every change and nearly every decision, whether it's in your home or it's in your workplace or in your child's school or in our community or right here in our church, every change will breed some sort of criticism. Every decision will. I've learned that all too well. Purpose in your heart tonight that you will not be in the default posture of negativity and complaint. As transition comes in your life, whether it's in this place or outside of this place, be in the posture of humility and flexibility. Can I add a disclaimer? You should be welcome to to respectfully and privately voice your concerns. You should be willing to do that, especially if you can't shake it. But the key... Is that you're going to offer your criticism to the right person. That you're going to approach them the right way. And you're going to make a pre-decision before that conversation ever happens. That even if your concern doesn't change their mind. You're going to leave it there. Not make it personal or public. And you're just going to go forward. That's a healthy critique. There's some practical, just some practical stuff from from Shimei's criticism. Um, Aristotle said this criticism is something we can avoid easily by saying nothing, doing nothing, and being nothing. In other words, if you're content in life to never do anything that requires courage, vision, or change, you're never going to encounter critics. But if you're going to do anything that matters, especially if you're in leadership, you're going to encounter criticism. How do you deal with it? Look at verse 9. Then said Abishai, the son of uh, Zeruiah, Z, we're going to just agree to call him Z. Why should this dead dog curse my Lord the King? Let me go over, I pray, thee, take off his head. This is the second movement of the message. How do we counter a critic? Well, we get a sword out. That's how. You get your pistol out, you load it up, and you take care of business. Not really. But that's what we feel like doing. It's the most natural way to handle criticism of this nature. Here's why. Follow this. We become obsessed with justice. Now hear me. If you're a critic in here and you've turned me off because you didn't like what I said in the first part of the message, tune into this part. It's good. We ask ourselves, why should this dead dog be able to get away with criticizing me like this? I know the facts. I know my motives. I know what I said. I know my intentions. I know the full story. They're wrong and they need to be told so. We can't reconcile in our minds how we go on with life without making this right. Justice must be served. And here's what's happening. The injustice we're facing at the hands of our critics starts to crawl all over us. It keeps us up at night. It wakes us up in the morning. It goes with us to work. It follows us onto Facebook. It meets up with us at church. It doesn't matter where we go or what we're doing. We can't shake off the criticism. In our minds, our critic is a dead dog who deserves some type of demonstrative response. Here's the danger with those emotions. If we let them crawl over us too long, we're going to start looking for ways to chop off their head. I believe Abishai was speaking literally. If David would have let him, the dude would have went and took care of business. But in our case, we know we can't get away with murder. So we try and find more respectful, sanctified ways to get even with our critic. Can I mention some of those? Thank you. We're going to do it passive-aggressively through ignoring that person until they start feeling awkward. Then we're going to make them live in that awkwardness for a while because that's what they deserve. We're going to say snarky things to them whenever we have the opportunity. We won't outright slander them because that's too obvious. It's like taking their head off. But we're going to find ways to be mean, to be harsh, and to be short with that person. We'll often vindicate ourselves by gossiping about the individual. We know who in our life will always give us a listening ear. We know who we can go to and talk to that will listen to us and agree with us long enough so we can find a release and find some vindication. It doesn't matter what we say, what tone we say it in, what spirit we have. It doesn't matter. We know the person's always going to go like this. Sometimes we chop our critics head off by manipulating friendships with people that they're friends with. And start to slowly steal loyalty away from the people that they're close, that are close to our critics as a way to get even with our critic. We can use Facebook to throw darts at our critic. After all, our critic used Facebook to falsely accuse us. To attack our character. So we're going to just spit fire right back at them. You know why? Because we're obsessed with justice. We're obsessed with it. Let's agree tonight that the Abishai way of countering a critic doesn't usually work out very well. Come on, chopping people's head off isn't the right way to go. Well, that's where David comes in, because we're going to see the old David. He returns to the old David, a man of restraint, a man not given to impulse, a man not willing to use his power for his own selfish agenda. The same man who refused to lift a sword against Saul, even after Saul was trying to kill him. David teaches us how. To counter a critic. Verse 11. And David said to Abishai and to all his servants. Behold my son which came forth out of my bowels. He's, he, he's talking about the son that now is trying to, to, to lead a revolt against him. He seeketh my life. How much more? Now may this Benjamite do it. Let him alone and let him curse. For the Lord hath bidden him. Now follow this. David just stated why he was even in this position to be criticized in the first place. His sin brought consequences upon his house and caused his son to turn against him. Had he never sinned with Bathsheba in the first place, had he never murdered Uriah, had he never tried to cover it up for over a year, none of this would be happening. Here's how that teaches us to respond to criticism. Be humble enough to admit your own faults. If you're the one criticized, your posture shouldn't be one of immediate self-defense, but rather self-examination. David's response was tempered, even when his right-hand man's response wasn't. Why? Because he had already been humbled by his own sin. The reason why we want to vindicate ourselves so quickly is because we're not seeing ourselves as the sinner. We're seeing our critic as the sinner. There's something powerful, church, about understanding the sin debt that we owe to God that, that somehow helps us deal more graciously with those who are indebted to us because of their sin. It's the comprehension of our own sin that determines our capacity to deal graciously with others' sin. So next time you're criticized, stop and take inventory of your own life. Ask yourself, is what they're saying true? Is any of it true? Have I done anything to give them a false impression? Have I carried myself in such a way, even unintentionally, that would cause them to say this about me? Is there anything I've done to put myself in this position? Maybe they've exaggerated the details. Maybe they've stretched the truth. Maybe they have every intention to hurt me. But am I at fault on any level here? Is there something I need to own up to? Is there something I need to learn about myself? Is there something I need to apologize for? It's likely that our critic isn't just randomly making up lies about us. I understand that can happen, but that's often not the case. Yes, they can exaggerate it. They might not have the full story. They may be jumping to conclusions. They may be operating because they're being loyal and taking up for somebody they love that's been hurt. But at the end of the day, we may be able to learn something for how we can do better next time. So if we'll get into the posture on the front end of of, of humility... And say, man, what is this trying to, what's God trying to teach me through this? I think we'll be less tempered and make less impulsive responses. Notice what else David says, verse 12. It may be that the Lord will look on my infliction and that the Lord will requite me or repay or restore me good for his cursing this day. Number two, be patient enough to trust God's defense. David had this measure of long-suffering with Shimei because he believed that God could take what his critic meant for evil and use it for good. Who does that sound like to you in the Old Testament? Joseph. Remember that? His brothers sold him out, lied about it, left him to be forgotten forever. Little did they know that he would rise to power in the Egyptian government and they themselves would have to rely on him for food during a famine? You know the story, when Joseph could have exacted his revenge on them, he didn't. He was kind and he took good care of them and he explained why. He said it this way, Ye thought evil against me, but God met it unto good. David, just like Joseph, had this deep belief that God would vindicate him and take care of him. Just look at all the Psalms that David wrote while he was being treated unfairly by Saul. All the Psalms he wrote while his son was leading this revolt against him. He rested in the fact. He said these kind of things. God is his tower and God was his shield and God was his buckler and God was his refuge and God was his defense. David trusted God's defense in his life and it led him to be a more patient man. Here's what we need to learn. God does a better job at defending us than we do at defending ourselves. How do I know that? Because Romans 12, 19 says so. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. But rather give place under wrath. What does that mean? Leave room for wrath. For whose wrath? God's. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. An immediate response to your critic does not leave God any type of space or time to take care of your critic for you. Leave God some space. Leave God some time to work on their heart. To set things right. To, to, to protect and preserve your reputation. Let God do that for you. Our reaction to criticism reveals whether or not we believe that verse is true. We take matters in our own hands. We say we trust God. We really don't. So next time you're criticized, ask yourself or tell yourself what David told Abishai. It may be that the Lord will look on my infliction. If the Lord will repay me good for this criticism that I'm facing. Trust God with it. I understand that there are times where confrontation, I'm going to talk about that in our final point here. Confrontation has to be uh, talked, we we have to confront, uh, our our critic has to be confronted. I get that there are are ways to use uh, wisdom in that. That's why uh, Solomon, he wrote Proverbs in one verse, he said, answer not a fool according to his folly. What does the next verse say? Answer a fool according to his folly. Which one is it, dude? In between the two verses is this word called wisdom. It's, it's, it's have some space where you can pray and you can let God do his work and, and God will let you know in the in between, he'll let you know, do I answer or do I answer not? By the way, if you want to know what happened to Shimei, David's son Solomon took good care of him. You can go read first Kings chapter two, if you're curious how all that went down, but, but David, he, he swore an oath that he wouldn't touch Shimei, but David's son Solomon touched him. He took care of business. So God God will will be a good defense. So be humble enough to admit our own faults. Be patient enough to trust God's defense. Look at verse 13. And as David and his men went by the way, Shimei went along on the hillside over against him and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and cast dust. How much can one guy take? Okay, one stone's enough. All right, I get it. The dude's having a bad day. One post on Facebook's enough. It just, they're having an emotional moment. One complaint's enough. Everybody struggles with change. But when shimmy eyes are walking next to you and they just keep throwing stones yeah. and they just won't shut up and they keep posting and they keep complaining and they keep criticizing and they keep talking to others about it. Like, when is enough enough? When is David, the guy who beat up Goliath with a stone? When is he going to pick up the stone? Put it in a sling and throw it back at Shimei. Like he knows how to work stones pretty well. When's, when's enough going to be enough? Did you notice the first phrase of verse 13? And David and his men went by the way. They just went on. They just moved on. Here's how you answer your critic be spiritual enough to control your reaction. One of the fruits of the Spirit is temperance or self-control. Hear me, spiritual people are self-controlled people. If you can't control what you say, how you say it, when you say it, where you say it, and to whom you say it, you are not as spiritual as you think you are. I'm going to run that by you one more time. If you can't control what you say, How you say it, when you say it, where you say it, and to whom you say it, you are not as spiritual as you think you are. And neither am I. The fruit of a spiritual person, Galatians 5, is self-control. David did not answer Shimei. He didn't set the record straight immediately upon being criticized. He just walked on. That means a lot to me coming from a, a slinger. Who with one sling of a stone could have took care of business. You with me? That's why I revere him so much and his response so much. And here's what we learn. Sometimes the best response and the most spiritual response is no response. When I say no response, I simply mean walking away, saying nothing, and going on with your life. I don't mean just abstaining from saying anything to your critic. I mean abstaining from saying anything at all to anybody except God. Just walk away. The truth is that with God's help, I think we can move on and let more things go than we think we can. Or that in our obsession with justice, we think we should. Here's why this response has proven to be the most beneficial in my life. When it's possible. I say when it's possible. Because Apostle Paul said live, with peace, live in peace with all men as, you, like, as it's possible. Live peaceably with all men as much as possible. So there are times I get it when, when, when you can't dodge confrontation. But here's why. If you can just walk on you need to walk on. Here's why. Because you usually don't have to apologize for something you never said. There have been times that I've answered my critic and I said the truth. But I had to apologize when I said it or where I said it or how I said it. It's much easier on my conscience when I choose to say nothing at all because at that point my hands are clean and I'm right with the Lord. Let me say this though. If you do have to confront the critic because walking away isn't an option in your situation, hear me, you should still be spiritual enough to control your reaction. Christians don't get to use the excuse of their personality to justify their unspiritual responses. Well, pastor, I'm this number on the Enneagram. It's just who I am. I'm a type A personality. No, it's who you are in the flesh. It's not who you should be in the spirit. God gives every personality type self-control when that personality type yields itself to the Holy Spirit of God. So that means that the spirit will help the aggressive personality to be less aggressive and more conversational, more curious. The Spirit will help the passive personality to be less dismissive and more straightforward. The Spirit, if you're yielded to Him, will, will also, watch here, the Spirit will inform the timing and location of your confrontation. The Spirit will probably never tell you to confront your critic in front of a bunch of people. That's not the Spirit, that's the flesh. The Spirit will probably never tell you to confront your critic in front of their kids or yours. That's the flesh. Spirit doesn't lead to that foolishness. Spirit will probably tell you to, 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 to never confront your critic the first time you see him. So right when you're offended, you say, next time I see him, I'm talking to him." I don't know if that's always the Spirit of God. I've come to know the Spirit to tell me this, be patient. Wait a little bit longer than you think you, you need to. Show a little more grace than you feel like giving. Why? Because when emotions are high, wisdom is low. It takes, a, it takes a little bit for the Spirit of God to take my flesh out of my system. To where I can start thinking right. So, so, so it's all about being yielded to the Spirit of God. Sometimes He'll give you self-control to let it go and walk away. Other times when that's not possible, He'll give you self-control in your delivery, your tone, your spirit, and your timing. So how do we respond to criticism? Well, we search our own hearts. And we be humble enough to admit our failures. Even if they're not fully right, there might be something we can learn from this. Number two, we exhibit patience and we wait on God to vindicate us. Right now is not always the right time. Number three, we yield to the Spirit and we let Him inform our response. If you're Shimei tonight, if you're the critic tonight, Here's the message for you. You need to consider whether or not your criticism is true. Do not repeat something that is based on a false assumption that can usually be solved by talking to the person directly. You need to refrain number two. Refrain from attacking a person's character when you offer a criticism. If you're going to critique something in a Christ-like way, it's never going to be to tear a person down. It's going to be to make a person better or to better a situation. And finally, if you're Shimei tonight, because you care about your testimony and the testimony of your church, you need to choose to keep that criticism as private as you possibly can. A.K.A. stay off Facebook. And keep it in between you and your critic, not not you and your spouse and their friend and their friend and their friend. Not you and your brother or your sister. Not you and your coworker. Keep it between you, God, and the one that you feel like you need to critique. Public criticism typically always goes bad. Keep it private as much as you possibly can for as long as you possibly can. Well, that's hard. Yeah, it's real hard. But like Abishai had David, we do have the Holy Spirit telling us, hold up. Hold up. Search your own heart. Search your own heart. Be humble. Learn from this. Let the Spirit of God give you patience and God will be your defense. If you agree with the Bible, say amen tonight. Let's stand to our feet. Let's